0: We continue. Have you all ever noticed that some days that it's easier to say praise to you more drenched after reading? <laughs> but we spent all of Advent season preparing. We knew what was coming and we waited patiently until Christmas Day. The day when choirs of angels sing in exaltation, the day where renewal of all things would start, the day where unbridled joy was unleashed into this world in the form of a baby. And we go from this mountaintop experience of the birth of our Savior on Christmas Day to a story of a family fleeing government sanctioned terrorism and a murder of innocent children. Let's be honest here, this is not a fun text to preach. I don't think it's a coincidence that this text lands on today, a day I call, Please Give Your Priests a Day Off, they really need it. Christmas Initiative. I asked the for recommendations on how to preach this text, and the only thing that I heard back was, choose a different text. (laughs) And apparently I could have. Can I be honest for a second? That I didn't want to preach on this text, and I didn't want to preach on it for the same reason that it was a little bit harder today to say praise to you, Lord Christ. That I didn't want to go from unbridled joy to murder children in a minute flat. There's a, there's a few different ways that you can preach this text, you could go. Uh, the easy route and preach a sermon on social justice and immigrants and refugees, and there would certainly be truth in that sermon that would unfortunately mirror what the world looks like to us today, but today I'm going to take us down a harder path. And it's a path that's full of warning, it's a path full of grief, It's a path of despair, but strangely enough, also a path of hope. And today we're going to put ourselves in the feet of the families whose children were just murdered by Aaron. And this is a hard thing to do. Those families had plans for their newborn sons. They had a way that they thought life would be. They had hopes and dreams, not just for their sons, but for themselves who would take care of them later on. And those hopes and dreams and the future was destroyed in one of the most brutal ways possible. So today's sermon is about what do you do when you find your place where your expectations for what should be don't match the harshness of the reality that you're facing? What do you do when you find your life doesn't look anything like what you anticipated it to? A former pastor of mine once preached that if this isn't described in are season right now, just wait, because it's coming for you. It's not a cheerful, sunny-side-up kind of message, but unfortunately it's true. Our lives consist of mountaintop highs and deep, deep valley lows, and like the trajectory of Christmas coming into the first Sunday of Christmas, our lives change in a minute flat in ways that we don't anticipate and desperately do not want So I'm going to be up front with you uh, and ask for some grace because I'm not up here uh, just preaching to all of you. I'm also up here heavily preaching to myself uh, that this is a message that God put on my spirit, not just for you, but also for me, too. Because our family has unfortunately had to go through more than its fair share of these type of experiences. And I ask for your grace uh, because there's a good chance that I might need a minute or two. Uh, up here while preaching, because when we talk about these things, we're often dealing with raw pain and hurt. Is that okay? Sure. Thank yeah. okay. you. So, uh, my mother Nancy passed away in June of 2013 after a fight with cancer and cancer and more cancer in her 60s. And to this day, when I hear about people my age hanging out with their parents, let alone sometimes their grandparents, I sometimes can get a little jealous, or angry, or sad, depending on my mood. What I wouldn't have given to be able to hang out with my mom this holiday season. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and I really wish that you didn't Less than a year later, my wife, Becca, and I found out we were expecting our first child. And we experienced a picture-perfect pregnancy until her water broke and we were at the hospital to deliver and something happened with our son's heart and it started going bad. And as I sat there in disbelief watching the emergency C-section take place and watching the doctors try to unsuccessfully revive our son, I couldn't process what was happening. And to make matters worse, nobody has explanation for why our son died. To say that we felt that life was harsh would be an extreme understatement. And then a few months after that, my wife's digestive system started having issues. Living in Western New York at the time, we were close to Cleveland Clinic, one of the leading hospitals in the country, so we took advantage of that, and we shuffled back and forth between Cleveland and home, trying to figure out what was wrong with my wife, and at its worst, my wife had lost over 50 pounds because she couldn't eat without being in severe pain, and later on, some other symptoms made it so that she couldn't stand up for more than a minute. We now know that my wife is chronically ill with a disorder called Mast Cell Activation Syndrome, something that she's always had But that emergency C-section of losing our son, kicked it into high gear. And finally knowing what her condition is has been life changing because with more knowledge we're able to construct scenarios where she does a lot better and avoid things uh, that are triggers for her that are really bad. But while life certainly looks better than it used to, it came with a sharp blow that her condition is genetic. So if we were to try to have a child again, not only would it put my wife in severe danger, but there's also a 50% chance of passing it on to our child. And when it's passed down, it gets exponentially worse for future generations. So we are left with this harsh realization that having our own biological children is not in our future. What do you do when expectations don't match reality? What do you do when you desperately want to turn lemons into lemonade, but honestly haven't been anything as given as anything as pleasant as a lemon to work with? You? What do you do when your loved ones die far too soon? What do you do when illness threatens to destroy everything you know? What do you do when your loved one's addiction finally gets the better of What do you do when it feels like you've been left with nothing but shattered dreams and no way to move forward i think a natural question that comes up is, is why me or why us why does god allow bad things to happen especially to us the good christians And I wish I had wise words to explain why sometimes God miraculously saves people, and other times some people don't get healed. There are plenty who try to explain this theological concept called theodicy, but I speak from experience when I tell you that for those who are in grief and pain, that there is no comfort here, and that why me isn't the right question at this time. And what keeps us going in the face of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy is a simple Bible verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Notice what the Bible verse doesn't say. It doesn't say that only good things will happen to you. It doesn't say that bad things won't happen to you. It says that in all things, in all things that God works those things for good, even the really, really bad stuff. Never seems possible at the time, but it happens. When our son Gideon died, we didn't know what to do because there was a house full of baby stuff and a nursery that would not be used by our child. Our world was shattered and broken, and all of our dreams and expectations gone replaced with the reality that we didn't see coming. In my grief, Our my wife and I started sharing Bible verses on social media, along with updates of how we were processing things and blog posts about where we saw God working in this grief. And and through that, we started to see a picture of God moving. Friends of ours who were stirred by our experience reached out and had conversations with faith. People who had fallen away from church returned. Our being open about the good and bad of what we were going through gave people permission to deal with their own grief. My wife and I both ministered to many mothers and fathers who never processed their grief over miscarriages and stillbirth because even though one in four pregnancies ended miscarriage or stillbirth, society really frowns on talking about it leaving people with bottled-up emotions that wreak havoc on their lives. So through our son's death, others were given a shot at a richer, more abundant life. And when my mom died, it was hard to think that anything good could come out of severe tragedy, but it did. My father and I now have the best relationship we've ever had, and honestly, that wouldn't have happened otherwise something else that probably wouldn't have happened either was having the honor of of walking with my dad through his faith journey in the years after praying over him as he handed his life to christ and getting to watch my wife baptized my father at easter vigil in 2016. through the death of my mom came the joys of a deeper stronger relationship with my dad and new life in christ you see all of our stories all the good all the bad none of it is self-contained none of our stories are stories unto themselves we're all a part of a much larger story that god is telling the story of redemption and the story of reconciliation of god to god's people and in this story the good stuff the real page turners, that's the stuff that's happening when God is working all things for good. And the problem for us is that this story isn't told instantly. We can't hop on Netflix and binge this thing. And my wife has been suffering from chronic illness for years and years and we're just starting to see the glimmers of a new story coming from this, but honestly, it's too soon to tell. Or like the mother's father's whose sons were murdered by Herod in our text this week, their death was not the end of the story. Unfortunately, many of those parents passed away before they got to see the largest part of what God was writing. What they experienced never should have happened. And in absolutely no circumstances, is God okay with the murder of children? But God worked even this awful story for good. Because today, this story may not mean a lot to us, and and we may want to avoid it. But for the early church, this story happening was used as proof that Jesus was who he said he was. The fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures and prophecies of how their Messiah would appear. It's an awful story. But it was also used for good as part of the foundation that built the early church, and without it, none of us would be dead. Because you see, in God's kingdom, things are often not quite how they appear. Two thousand years ago, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was watching her son be crucified. And the little baby, whose birth we just celebrated four days ago, the one that God promised would sit on the throne and would reign over Israel forever, was now in front of her breathing his last breath, tortured in the worst way possible. And in those moments of grief and tears, she joined in solidarity with the families whose sons had just been murdered by her. All her plans, all her hopes, all her dreams, not only for herself, but her people, seemingly shattered upon that cross. But we already know That the story doesn't end there, that what appeared to be defeat and the end of the story for Jesus was anything but. That what felt like this tragic end was actually only the beginning of a much better story. A story that had Jesus taking our sins on the cross, and through his death and resurrection, those sins died as well, and through Jesus being reunited with God. In God's kingdom, when we find ourselves in places where death and tragedy strike, where loss and grief reign, in spaces of extreme anguish and turmoil, when we find ourselves in places where all hope seems lost, Jesus is there, working all things for good. Everybody, turn your neighbor and say, Jesus is there. i to have to get a little louder. <laughs> when tragedy rears its head, Jesus is there. when your closest friend betrays you, Jesus is there. when terrorists try to slaughter us and instill fear in our hearts, Jesus When the government makes policies that end in the death of his families, when you're watching helplessly as cancer and illness ravages the body of those we love, when our loved ones die tragically, when it feels like you've given all you can give, when it feels like no hope is left, and when it feels like the end, Jesus Jesus is there. So what do you do when your expectations don't line up with the harshness of the reality you're experiencing? You keep your eyes open for the God, the story you to tell. You remember that Jesus, the master storyteller, is there with you always, the end of the age, and that what seems like a period in your story is merely a comma. Because your story isn't finished yet, and neither is God's. And though your story has grief and pain that still hurts, it, it, in the end, Jesus uses all of it. The tragedy, the heartache, and in ways you never expected, creates life and love for him.